Chapter Three of Eight Girls and a Dog by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The fun begins. Saved! I have fallen into a grotto! exclaimed Millicent, dashing through the hall and into the parlor, where she flung herself into a big wicker rocker. What do you mean by that? said Hester, who always liked to have everything explained. Why? Don't you remember that ridiculous hero in one of Julius Verne's stories, who fell thousands of miles down into the earth and landed in a beautiful grotto, which caused him delight, but no surprise? Those are exactly my sensations. While your grotto is full of unused atmosphere, let's turn it out and get some fresh. And swoosh! Up with the shades, and bang! Up went the windows, and in came the air and sunlight and after eight girls had flung down their hats and wraps and bags and bundles the place began to look quite homelike here are the trunks and bicycles cried helen as a wagon stopped before the cottage oh dear said marjorie we haven't chosen our rooms yet two will have to sleep downstairs who wants to i will said betty i'm not afraid are you jessie no indeed and the invincibles immediately appropriated the pretty bedroom that opened off the parlor haven't i told you about these two girls yet well betty was fifteen a very tall girl with that kind of tallness that is called overgrown she was fond of all outdoor sports and strong athletic and muscular she strode through life regardless of conventions but making friends as she went Jessie was of directly opposite type in most ways, a chubby little maiden with a happy-go-lucky disposition. She had a positive genius for getting her own way, always amiable and acquiescent, and very generous. She yet managed never to do anything she didn't wish to do. She was a frivolous little creature, devoted to finery and dress, but so winning and affectionate that it was really impossible to interfere with her wishes. And so Betty's determination and Jessie's persistency had won them the name of the Invincibles, and whatever they agreed on came to pass. But as they rarely agreed on anything, this was not so disastrous as it might have been. The social economy of the eight was very clearly defined. The octave, as they called themselves, divided very naturally into two quartets, or four duets, whichever occasion required. And just now, occasion did require. So, leaving Betty and Jessie, the other six flew upstairs, and Marjorie and Millicent took one room, Nan and Marguerite another, and Helen and Hester the third, so that when the trunks were set up, they were put at once where they belonged. The wheels were stacked in the hall, only five of them, for Millicent, Nan, and Marguerite didn't ride. Then the trunks were unpacked, shelves divided fairly, hooks counted out, top bureau drawers tossed up for, and the settling process had begun. Soon Betty's voice was heard from below. Don't fiddle with your finery any longer now. Girls, come on down and let's see about supper. The six upstairs, feeling a responsive thrill, suspended operations at once and skipped down. They all flocked out to the kitchen, and great and joyous were the exclamations of the blue ribbon cooking club when they beheld the completeness of the furnishings thereof 
the old corner cupboard disclosed griddles and gridirons saucepans and frying pans rolls of shining tins hung over the sink egg beaters in syllabub churns smiled out at them from the shelves and a big fat pudding mould beamed a welcome from its corner betty seized two tin covers and clanged them like cymbals broke into the club's battle song which they sang on every possible occasion marjorie played an accompaniment on the coffee mill and nan whisked in some trills with the egg beater and they all sang rub-a-dub-dub rub-a-dub-dub hooray for the girls of the blue ribbon club and whether we're beating or heating or eating we always have fun at the blue ribbon club a loud knock at the back door made them all jump you go marjorie said nan so marjorie opened the door and faced again the persistent crowd of vendors the parkins butcher the grocer the baker milkman vegetable man fishman all stood beaming and expectant the club will please come to order said marjorie turning to the girls these claimants must be satisfied what ladies of the blue ribbon cooking club what i ask you do you want to eat a serious silence fell on the crowd they realized that at last they must cope with the great question we'll divide forces and appoint committees went on the president betty you and jessie order the meat whatever you like nan you do up the baker marguerite the milkman and helen and hester reason with the vegetarian and millikins and i will attend to the grocer nan soon dispatched the baker with a standing order of two loaves per day subject to amendment marguerite discussed the milk problem at length with good-natured old farmer hobbs and wound up by deciding on two quarts every morning or three quarts if there was a clothespin on the pail which he would find on the back steps also a quart of cream each morning with a like of understanding of the clothespin for said the sagacious matron what with whips and charlottes we'll need a lot of cream helen and hester decided they would attend to their department in an orderly systematic manner taking the index of a cookery book for a guide they decided they would eat their vegetables alphabetically have you any artichokes said hester no ma'am replied the man looking as if she had asked for a salamander any brussels sprouts asked helen no ma'am any celery yes mum fine celery indeed will you look at it mum we ought not to have celery until day after tomorrow said helen dubiously as they went out to the wagon but i guess we'll have to pick up the alphabet plan let's order celery and potatoes and oh look at that big pumpkin wouldn't a pumpkin pie be grand gay said hester we'll take that and that's enough for to-day you'll call to-morrow won't you yes mum replied the man and when the purchases were deposited on the kitchen table helen and hester felt proud of their choice jessie had disappeared but for the stray note of song floating out of her room made it an open secret that the attractions of her trinkets and fripperies had charmed her away from the culinary pastures so betty faced the butcher alone she was very decided and business-like we want meat for supper to-night said she looking at mr parkins card as if for inspiration 
beef veal mutton lamb pork and poultry hmm well we'll begin at the beginning beefsteak i think you may send two nice porterhouse steaks and please send them as soon as possible then we'll have a roast for tomorrow a two-rib roast of beef you may send that tomorrow morning the butcher noted down her orders and went away then the only committee still out was marjorie and millicent when betty having finished her course turned to them they were in a wild state of excitement they had decided to suggest things alternately while the grocer wrote the list the grocer was a lanky raw-boned young man with bushy red hair and seated in a chair with his pad and pencil looked for all the world like a district schoolmaster while the two girls stood before him looking like a very animated spelling match marjorie dancing on one foot was twisting up the corners of her apron into knots which she tied and untied with unconscious rapidity millicent stood firmly facing her with folded arms and screwed up forehead flour said marjorie butter said millicent sugar said marjorie salt said millicent pepper mustard ketchup sardines olives oh we must get staples molasses buckwheat no we don't want buckwheat kerosene oh yes and candles matches starch we don't need starch cornstarch eggs vanilla worcestershire sauce dear i'm sure we've forgotten the most important things lard rice we ought to have some canned things well let him bring what we've ordered and we can remember what we've forgotten soap ammonia salad oil now one thing suggests another lemons cheese macaroni macaroons he doesn't keep those the baker does don't let's order any more things now i'm all mixed up mr fenn went away pleased with his order and millicent dropped into a chair exhausted girls said hester you've run up a awful big order do you suppose it will cost all our money oh no said the wise and matronly marguerite shaking her halo and besides most of those things won't need to be ordered again the staples will last us all the time we're here now when they bring the bills i'll fix up my accounts i have a little red book real russia and i'll have a page for each department are these committees standing ones miss president oh no said marjorie we'll take turns at things i don't want to order groceries again i'm quite worn out poor marjorie come rest in this bosom my own stricken dear sang nan catching marjorie about the waist and dancing around the kitchen with her oh i'm so hungry pleaded betty can't we get out the silver and tablecloth and set the table now yes come on i love to set a table said nan but oh how i hate to wash dishes i thought we were going to have an irish lady do that eh marjorie aunt molly says there's a nice irish girl who lives up the beach somewhere who would come and help us for a consideration you and marguerite go and hunt her up her name is rosie o'neill beautiful name said nan a lady named rose o'neill i'm sure will be loyal and leal fulfilling our wishes she will wash up our dishes and our apples and onions shall peel there we forgot to order apples 
let's have a slate on the kitchen table and write down orders whenever they occur to us come now matron we'll go and hunt the radiant rosy where does she live duchess oh i don't know stop in and ask aunt molly she'll direct you tis well old chief we will return in triumph with our enchained captive now said marjorie as the door banged behind nan and marguerite those rattle-pated girls are sure to get lost and we'll never see them again meantime let's get to work we haven't explored the cellar yet perhaps the people who had been in the cottage all summer left a lot of good things down the cellar they went but a thorough search revealed nothing of interest but a basket of onions a refrigerator and an old trunk which attracted hester's attention at once why that's a real old english trunk she cried where did it come from it's locked and the lock is all rusty what do you find marjorie nothing but onions and flour but the flour looks queer i don't believe it's good that's not flour you goose it's indian meal it'll be gay for cornbread who can make cornbread i can't confessed betty oh yes you can if you try declared marjorie your cooking always turns out all right now as we're going to have steak for supper what do you say to having fried onions there are plenty here and i do love them don't you yes and we never have them at home they're so so intrusive let's do it all right betty as you've announced yourself peeler you can begin your vocation oh you've got a future before you betty looked a little dubious but bravely picked up the basket saying very well i'll peel them if someone else will fry them i'll fry them returned marjorie in my capacity of chief cook i'll do all the cooking for this first supper now let me see what are we going to have the others as usual all began to talk at once marjorie seized a long iron spoon and rapping on the table said this meeting will please come to order if you don't we'll never have any supper now don't all talk at once but if you've any sensible propositions to make make them when you're called on betty the peeler have you any suggestions to offer but betty was speechless she held a great pan filled with water in her lap in which the onions were bobbing up and down she was peeling away vigorously but her eyes were very red and the tears were rolling down her cheeks with a smile on her lip and a tear in her eye quoted marjorie laughing she's more like niobe all tears said helen come hester let's wipe her weeping eyes for her and the two stationed themselves on either side of betty with their handkerchiefs in readiness now said helen left right left right they dabbed poor eddie's eyes so energetically that they were redder than ever clear out girls or you'll soon weep with those that weep cried betty go away these are nearly done who'll carry out the pan of skins oh promise me oh promise me came floating out from the bedroom where jessie was still arranging and rearranging her cherished belongings jessie ought to do some work said millicent she's too dainty and dressy for any use she ought to be disciplined let's make her come out here and be scullery maid so they all crowded in at jessie's doorway and found her sitting on the floor by her open trunk surrounded by laces and ribbons and fans 
and still musically begging the required promise we'll promise you nothing until you come out and do some work for it said marjorie so get up at once then picking up an elaborate little swiss apron she tied its ribbons around jessie's waist there she said now you're appropriately decorated and i herewith appoint you scullery maid of this institution now skip along and empty that pan of onion skins oh don't let her spoil that pretty apron said hester the practical and she took off her own big gingham one and tied it over the dainty affair is this a game said betty taking off her own apron and tying it over hester's on jessie like a flash the three other aprons came off their owners and were piled on the luckless jessie round her waist round her neck and before and behind until millicent declared she looked like tweedledee prepared for his fight with tweedledum good-natured jessie trotted off with the pan and on her return was seized by betty the peeler who peeled off the numerous aprons and restored them to their owners End of chapter three